Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. On today's 150th episode of The Thriller Zone, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome the multi-award winning author Lou Burney and his latest thriller, Dark Ride. Lou is one of those authors I've admired for a long time, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't beyond stoked to have him on the show. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Please welcome my friend and yours, Lou Burney, to The Thriller Zone. Well, let's just shoot out of the gate with a great big hello and welcome to the Thriller Zone, Lou Burney. It's great to be here, David. It was so delightful seeing you finally face-to-face at BoucherCon. Yeah, you're taller than I expected. You're over seven feet tall, which you don't get from the uh, the, the video at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so funny. How many times did you say to yourself as you were meeting people, oh, you're taller, you're shorter, you're younger, you know? It was, it was so odd to catch all that it is it is fun it's fun to meet people in person you've been corresponding with for some some time and i'm thinking back to the first time we corresponded i think it had to do with probably well it had to be november road i don't you weren't on the show but we talked about it and i thought man one day i want to get this cat on the show and uh the planets aligned and here we are i know it's really great to be here i just uh i really appreciate the opportunity so thanks I saw your, uh, and I jumped on it immediately on, on Twitter, uh, AKA X, and I uh, saw your new trailer that uh, Story Factory just dropped. Let's take a look at it right now. Sometimes the person you least expect is just the hero you need. Dark Ride by Lou Burney, coming September 19th. Order now. That's pretty smoking. Yeah, the Story Factory, that's my agency, uh, Shane Salerno and Story Factory. They do some terrific trailers and uh uh it's always just blows my mind to see like that's my book. I can't even I can't even believe it. You know, it's so funny. Uh, you first of all, you're in a uh, you're in a class uh, all your own. I mean, you're you you have a uh, an entourage of uh, co-conspirators there at the Story Factory that is just mind blowing. Don Winslow, T.J. Newman, Meg Gardner. I mean, the list goes on and on. And uh, um, it, it's a clear indication of your magnificent talent that got you there. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm not sure that's true, but there is a great group of people at the Story Factory. I mean, it's a it's kind of a an odd mix of people, but it all comes back to sort of like a shared taste in books and reading and authors. And um, we're all you know pretty good friends too, which is is pretty rare for an agency sort of thing. And that same mindset, you probably found this Lou at BoucherCon. You've seen it at Thriller Fest. Is this community you hear us talk about all the time? This community is unlike many others. You know, you get into Hollywood, and the competition's a little fierce. But this community's 
just nothing but open arms. No, it was so weird because I'd, I'd been in academia, I'd been in Hollywood. And so I just sort of expected the crime community to be the same. And it's nothing like that. There's such a supportive vibe and it's, it's sincere. At first I was like, wait, is this just a way to get closer to me to stab me? But no, it's really sincere. People at the top of the ladder are always helping people lower down and everyone, you know, kind of rooting for everyone else. And it's such a refreshing and kind of necessary thing, I think, for writers. Another thing, uh, not to drop names, but uh, Lee Goldberg was walking around like he was everybody's pal. And I, and I, I at first, because I bumped into him, I said, Lee, I mean, you're Lee Goldberg, for crying out loud. And he goes, dude, I just, I love hanging out with people and I love this event. And it was so cool to just hang out with he and his brother. It's, it's amazing. I know. Uh, it's just crazy. The people you bump into who are these huge names sell millions of books and they're just like hanging out at the bar with everyone else and the nicest people you could possibly imagine talking shop. Yeah. Well, speaking of talking shop, this book right here, Dark Ride, is a smoking little baby. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, smoking little baby works, doesn't it? Well, I don't know. I feel like it's a disturbing image, but we'll go with it. Hey, Daddy. Um, we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get to this in a second because I have plenty to talk about. But I do want to back up a little bit for those folks who are um, don't know Lou or maybe getting uh, brand new introduced to Lou because this podcast is always growing. We're always getting uh, new listeners and viewers all the time. He wrote a book called November Road, which I mean. <laughs> When you can win the Hammett, the Steel Dagger, the Barry, the McCavity, and Anthony Awards, you know you've really accomplished something. And I and I got to ask you before I go on, Lou, did you have any idea that that book was going to make that big of an impact on that big of an audience? No, not at all. I mean, I just we I mean we write our books alone and in solitary confinement essentially, and so you get to know the characters and you love the story, but. I had no idea it would have that connection with readers. I mean, it was it was such a wonderful experience to have people come up to me and talk about the characters as if they knew them too. And uh, like, there's just no, it never gets old that feeling. So it was a huge surprise, and um, but just a wonderful surprise too. And as though that's not enough, it was named Book of the Year by the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, Newsweek, and LitHub. So. Folks, if you hadn't had a chance to read it, and I know we're talking about Dark Ride, and we're going to talk about this, but November Road, that is a book you must have in your library, if I may. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I agree. And I would say even like two or three copies in your library would probably be just safe in case one gets waterlogged or something with your tears. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it wouldn't be bad to have a hardback because you want to save that for your your award section and then a paperback Thank in you. case in case yeah. it gets wrinkled, you know. Yes. I didn't want to say that, so thank you for chipping it, Dave. And how about the one that, that got everybody's attention, uh, or a lot of folks uh, in the mainstream, which was The Long and Far Away Gone? Another Edgar Anthony Barry McCavity winner. I mean, Lou, and it's it's so hard to put you on the spot like this because you're such a humble, down-to-earth guy, and you, you don't really, you're not that big guy that's always talking about himself. But I mean, when I ask you specifically, what is it like to win that many prestigious awards besides pretty cool, Dave? I mean, how does that feel and how long had you been working perhaps even toward that goal? Well, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, I mean, there's so many incredibly good crime novelists out there right now. I mean, it's a, it's a true golden age for crime thriller fiction. 
And so like to win these awards makes me embarrassed at some degree because there's so many great writers and so many great books. But at the same time, it's just everything you do dream about, like the idea that you're getting this kind of acclaim and getting this kind of um, readership. So like it's incredible. But I'm also like very much aware of how many other great books there are out there. And speaking to that point, the competition is so fierce. And I have said on the show before many episodes back that uh, I remember the very first time or uh, this particular summer, I walked into a Barnes and Noble, as many of us do, right there in the section. And you're looking at all these hundreds of thousands of books, top 10, top 20, et cetera. And you, if you allow yourself to get caught in that space of how can I ever do this? How can I ever compete with this number of books and this? You you could really go slightly mad, couldn't you, Lou? Yeah, I don't. I it's it's tough. Like I have so many good friends who are great writers. Like I was at BoucherCon and I ran into to Lee Goldberg's brother Todd, who's got a new book coming out. I think a week before mine. And I remember reading Todd's last collection of stories and just hating him. Like it was so good. I was like, oh screw you, Todd Goldberg. But he's like my good friend, and and so it's like. You just got to accept that, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats in a way. And, and, and the better the crime fiction, the better for everybody. And I know as a reader, like I love that the look at September, the releases this month, it's just incredibly humbling. And you're just like, wow, I'm just glad to be in this mix at all. I was talking to Don Winslow, another one of your buddies in the Shane and in, in Story Factory. And he was talking about uh, Richard Rousseau his latest book. And he said, he said he was sitting down to read it. And he said to himself, Oh, why did I even get into this business? This is ridiculous. I, I, I suck. And I thought, uh, Don, you're Don Winslow. You've, you've done pretty good. I mean, do you ever have feelings like that when you are talking about that uh, competition? The I suck feeling that, 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 uh, yeah, that's constant. I think for almost any writer, if you're not, constantly telling yourself i suck you're probably not doing the job right so i mean i think that's where you get better is to always want to do better and um i i had that experience i read i read uh what was the book i read tess gunty's um the rabbit hutch which won the national book award last year i think i just read it and i was like oh man i just wanted to give up it was so good but then a few minutes later i wanted to go straight to the keyboard and 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 like start typing. So uh, I think it, it, it knocks you down and then brings you up um, in the same way at the same time. I was asking uh, Bob Dagoni once, I'm like, he, he, we were talking about his books coming out and he was talking about, oh my God, David, seriously, every single time I practically just hurl myself silly because I'm worried that no one will like my book. And I'm like, dude, last time I checked, you have like 20 or 30 hits behind you. Uh, are you kidding? He goes, no, every single solitary book. And I don't know what that is, Lou. I, I, I don't get it. Is it, you know, do, do we uh, have that imposter syndrome? Do we just, do we always feel like nothing we do is good enough? Not to be on the couch, but no, it's a good question. It's like, you know, athletes have it come out in a very different way. They like great athletes, just assume every shot's going to go in. You know, that's, that's the mindset of a great basketball player or a baseball player. Every, every ball he's going to hit out of the park. And for writers, it's, it's different somehow. And somehow it's because we're doing something completely original each time with each book. I think that it's unknown territory. It's, it's not tr territory we've been over before. And so you're just sort of setting out, like you, you write one book and you're like, wow, I'm a pretty good plumber. 
I learned to plumb. And then the next book's like, oh, wow, now I've got to land a plane. And it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't match up. So you're always in this state of terror um, and, and dread. But I think, again, I think it makes you, makes you better. Do you, you, all of your books are standalones, correct? I had a, I have two books that are in a series. My first two novels, uh, Gut Shot Straight and Whiplash River, are part of a series. Um, but since then, I've just been writing standalones, which I'm much more, uh, I, I guess I'm just much more comfortable with. I don't have to think about what happens afterwards. Because that was my next question. Would you find comfort in knowing what's always going to, you know, you've got one protagonist, you, you, you fleshed him out, you spent time with him or her, and you, you know exactly who it is, where they're going. All you have to do is put them in a different situation. And that's not something you're a big fan of? Is that what you're well, it's, I like, I like to read series books and writing them. It was enjoyable. Like I, I love the characters. So I love coming back to them, but like, I just, my, my instinct or my, uh, just my bent is toward something new every time and something that kind of like I haven't seen before. And so that sort of steers me a little bit away from the series book. I think. Do you, does your wife say, uh, I'm trying to think of who I spoke to recently, and they were talking about. Oh, I'm always saying the. Um, oh, it was uh, Kyle Mills, and he said what, about this topic about we're feeling that we suck. He goes, "Yeah, my wife says to me, oh, here it comes, here comes Kyle. He's coming down the hall. He's going to hate this book. He's going to throw things, and then in the end, when people start liking it, he's going to go, oh, that really wasn't that bad. Do you have any kind of a similar story? Yeah, I think my wife, you know, she she uh is aware of my process and she kind of sees it more clearly than i do when i'm in the middle of it so she's great at saying you know shut up stop whining it's going to be fine um uh, but again you know sometimes it's not fine that's the truth of writing fiction if you're doing something different every time sometimes you're going to fail but that's again just part of the price of of doing something original and cool and you have to accept that and speaking of original and cool, uh, because I'm a crack up former radio guy, I would be remiss if I did not make a point of commenting on the tall fella over your right shoulder. For those just listening, there, oh. tell me who that is standing next to the globe. He doesn't have a name, Dave. I don't name my 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 art. Uh, I got that in Mexico City. At a, we're in Mexico City, and he's like he was actually broken. And so he was like half price and we just felt kind of bad for him. And we stitched him back together. He's still missing his fingers. So it's, it's a type of Mexican. I can't remember the name of it. It's, um, it's sort of a part of their folk, folk art culture. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I had to, I had to, I had to poke. You had to ask. Yeah. All right. Dave, I'm going to name him Dave from now on. That's Dave. Fingerless Dave. <laughs> Fingerless Dave. I like that. That sounds like a, that's a character in a noir uh, crime novel. It was late night when Fingerless Dave walked into the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start with this. Uh, I, I do want to get your elevator pitch, so I know you've got one, so I want to hear that. But here's here's something that I am going to come right out of the gate with. I saw this cover, first of all, a delicious cover. Thank you. Thank you. Does, that Story Factory, I believe, came <sighs> up with that. It's smoking. It does lead you to believe one thing, which is certainly good. No, everybody loves a little little red herring among the best of us. But it was one of the most enjoyable and surprising reads. And I walked away. My wife always comes in. She right around the end of the read. You met Tammy. 
Yeah, I like her much better than than you. But that's like I like you a lot. But Tammy's the best. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Thank you. Um, sure. she, she goes, "What did you think about Lou's book?" Uh, and I said, "You know what? It was surprising, surprisingly good. Just surprising." And and before I get off of that word, because I will be wait, wait, wait. Best. Can I just stop you for a second there? You uh-huh. just called my novel surprisingly good which is, is, the, is the greatest backhand compliment ever. I just want to point that out for the, for the people at home. I'm going to put that blurb on there. Surprisingly good, actually. Just add an actually to it, and we're, we're in business, I think. Surprisingly good, actually. I'm firing my publicist after this. This is crazy, surprisingly good. Oh, my God. I am sweating bullets. I, I didn't mean to quite come out that way. What I mean is it was, yeah, watch me backpedal now. Mm-hmm. I was... I'm not surprised at your talent because it's magnificent, Mr. Bernie. Thank you. <laughs> but I, I think I was expecting uh, something really, truly dark, and it is dark. But boy, it, it here's what it is, and and I, I'm going to get to your elevator pitch because why it impacted me so more, so much. I have two grandkids, pretty close to the center of this story, and the minute I started reading. I put my grandkids, Jack and Allison, in the middle of that story, and it broke. It snapped my heart in two, and then I was—I couldn't be any more in if I tried. I'd love to hear that. That's fantastic. And I mean, I—I I, I have um, seven great nephews and nieces between the ages of twelve and three weeks old. So for me, writing about kids is just, there's so much a part of my life. They all live within a mile or two of me and we're always around them. And so it's something that like came organically to me to write about that age of kids and kids in general. And, um, and, and like with kids, I mean, I think with you bring up a really great point, like, the, like dark ride. And to me, it was always from the beginning, like I wanted, it, I knew it was going to be dark, but I also wanted it to be a ride, you know, in the sense of like, kind of like some light in there as well. And sort of balancing darkness and lightness has always been something that's important to me, both in what I write and, and what I read. I love, I love kind of things that are more complex and not just sort of one, one tone or one color. Well, mission accomplished because it, it pulls you in and uh, go ahead and give me the elevator pitch now so that I know exactly what balance I can step in and out of as we go forward. I guess my elevator pitch is, um, you know, the novel is about a, a 21-year-old stoner slacker guy who's just really drifting through life, putting out zero effort. And he happens to cross two, two kids who he can tell are being hurt by somebody. And no one will listen to him. No one will take over the case from him. So he has to find it within himself to figure out what's going on and help save these kids. And again, he's the most unlikely, least prepared person to do this but he he he's the only one who can do it so he has to do it unlikely hero and the ending took my breath away i mean i don't remember i can very rarely say how many times uh my breath was taken away and it's one of those endings that you get to uh you get to live with for a while and you get to kind of stir the pot and decide how you want things to happen but yeah just powerful Lou on on so many levels because it not it isn't just a thrill ride it is a it's a bit of a a mirror to society to the way we the, the how the machine handles oh we're too busy oh uh, someone else will take care of it it's kind of that underlying thought of 
someone else's problem. I'm, I'm too busy living my boring life. Right. It's really easy to say like, oh, I'll let someone else deal with this situation. And, you know, when the main character goes, he goes to report it to, to um, Child Protective Services. And it's not exaggerated at all. Like it's it's incredible, like how underfunded and overworked and overburdened uh, every agency is. And so it's just sort of like if you get caught in that process, if you get lost in that shuffle, you're probably not coming out of it a lot of the time. And so I feel like, you know, that's something I try to remind myself every day is like, you know, I need to be the one who's responsible when I see something, when I when I can be of help and not just assume someone else will do it. And I think that's something that, you know, um, it's it's easy to, to, to lose that in this era of, of iPhones where you're just lost in your phone and it's easy to think, oh, well, someone else will deal with that. And the, the main character's name is Hardly, which is <laughs> so good. Uh, Hardy, of course, uh, nicknamed Hardly, but the stoner aspect was so precisely captured and, uh, not that you, yeah, I mean, I've been around that. No, I mean, I guess like one of the things that helped me a lot was writing in the, uh, I write in coffee shops a lot. So, um, I'm around, you know, a lot of young baristas and not, I'm not suggesting they're their drug habits or anything like that. But I'm just saying like that sort of job, that sort of person who can be kind of drifting at that point in their life. I'm, I'm around them a lot. So I can kind of, I talk to them and I see them. And then it's also just going back, like, you know, I'm sure you, Dave, we go back to our own, you know, youth. And you just remember how kind of a drift you can be when you're 20 or 21 and how nothing's figured out. Like, and everything seems overwhelming. I think it's even worse today. Like, oh my gosh, for a 21 year old today, like college is like, so much more expensive than it used to be when we were kids. And so it's just, it, you know, it's a combination of personal experience and also just sort of like um, talking to people. And to be a scare actor in a haunted house park. I mean, that, that is so original. I know. I had no idea. I can't remember how I came up with that. Um, but uh, I did some research on that, which was fun. Like, uh, and uh and I tried to get it right, but then I just made some stuff up. I remember, I remember hearing Harlan Coben one time at a Bautricon, I think, on a panel, and there he's saying like, "Yeah, sometimes I research, but usually I just make shit up." And I and I love that. And, and so that haunted. That's kind of the the scare zone I would create if I was in charge. Yeah, and I love the fact that these guys, you know, take their job kind of seriously. I mean, you know, we're 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 actors here. We're really dialing this in, and yet they fumble and through all of it all. Well, back to what people are saying. Don Winslow, we referred to earlier, calls it remarkable. T.J. Newman calls it brilliant. Lisa Unger says breathless. Kent Kruger calls it dynamite. S.A. Cosby says it's your best work yet. And of course, uh, I, not that I've written like these guys, but I had to put in my two cents and I call it surprising and moving. However, not surprisingly good, but just surprising because it, it really grabs you. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, that, that means a lot. Yeah. The first person aspect of it, too, um, it isn't always easy to pull that off and to make it so engaging so that you get to you get to be inside his mind and see the world through his eyes and then still observe all of the characters around him. Uh, Did you I'm trying to think of your other books where they they weren't all. No, this I had written first person in like uh, probably 30 years. This is the first time I've written first person in a long, long time. And it, I, I figure I thought this book had to be first person because the main character 
starts out so clueless um, that if it was in a sort of a, a distance perspective, you're going to be laughing at him and just being thinking he's ridiculous. You had to be in his mind to sort of understand how hard he's trying. Um, so I knew it had to be first person, but getting that voice right was really tough because as you know, like uh, you, I could, I could, I could probably recreate a 21 year old's voice perfectly if I wanted to, like with all the slang and everything, but that would then call attention to itself in a way that would disrupt the story. So I had to find this middle ground of making him seem authentic and seem young, but without kind of going overboard. And that's always, I think the challenge with, with first person when you're writing about someone um, from a very specific culture or time period or, or a demographic. And the characters around him, it's just a wide variety of, Oh, what's the phrase? Uh, broken dolls kind of. Uh, oh yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. The, I didn't think of that, but that's kind of true. Yeah. And, and the, uh, the mother of the children who are in, who's in trouble is so circ- circumspect of the situation. And yet you, you feel scared for her, sorry for her all simultaneously. And, but to the, the, my favorite part of the whole story is how this unwitting guy becomes this hero. He's first a hero in his mind. And then he really is the hero. Where did that idea come from? Not, not the idea of the book, but that, that, that power of hero in a world where everybody thinks they're a hero, they're all pretending to be heroes. Where did that come from? I'm not sure exactly. That's a good question. I mean, I think that's some, that's an idea that's interesting to me is can you, I mean, it's always interesting to me is can you become something more than you think you are? And partly it comes from being a writer. I think as we were talking about earlier, I think uh, I feel like when it works well, my writing is smarter than me. And I mean, I think you kind of understand that because like the only writers can really understand that, I think, because you'll, you'll write something on the page and you're like, oh, yeah, that's better than anything I could have thought up. But like it came out of you somehow. And so there's this interesting kind of potential that gets expressed when you're writing or probably doing anything creatively that isn't there when you're just sort of trying to summon it. And so I, I kind of wanted to see what this character was an interesting question. Like I, I, till the very end, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just wanted to see like it's in play. Is he really going to be a hero or not? Like he, he thinks he can be one and he believes in it, but I'm not sure that's necessarily true or not. Yeah, that ending is so spectacular. It's worth the price of admission. I mean, Jiminy. Or a couple of prices of admission. Just get, remember, two books, probably. I'm thinking three, hardback and two but thank you, yeah. papers. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back to something. when uh, and, and you mentioned your agent, Shane Salerno. I want to go back to when you were first starting out and what it felt like. What would the situation was when you got discovered by somebody who's got a pretty prolific track record. And I know he doesn't, he's a, he's a pretty humble guy and he likes to stay behind the curtain. And so I don't want to draw too much spotlight on him, but he is, he, he knows how to, he, when he sees talent, he knows it and he grabs it. So how was, how did that come about? How did you get discovered by this guy? Because it went boom fast. Yeah, I got a, what happened was I actually, this is about eight years ago, I think now, um, I got a, a message from Don Winslow on Twitter, a DM, and he's like, hey, uh, I don't know if you have an agent or how, what your agent situation is, but my agent really likes your stuff. And A, I was blown away to get a message from Don Winslow, who I've been a huge fan of for a long time. And 
So, but it just so happened like a week after, like almost literally a week after my agent at the time retired. So I was like, yeah, I do need an agent. And I remember getting on the phone with Shane. Um, I was in Tulsa for an event, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I got on the phone with him and we just talked for like an hour. And, um, and just cl it clicked that I, he was passionate about books. He was passionate about writers. He wasn't doing this for the money. He wasn't doing it for the fame. He was doing it because he loved the work itself and wanted it to see a bigger audience. And to me, you're going to get no pure expression of, of the job than that. You know, it's funny that when you think about the people who come into your life that affect you and you think, oh, we're going to use Don for an example. Oh, my goodness, if I could, you know, Don Winslow. But as I talk to writers through the past two and a half years, everyone feels similarly. They, they hold everyone else in such high regard. And it's circling back to that comment about what a great community this is, is that we're all really just chasing our passion. We're just telling great stories and chasing that drive within us that we know that it's either going to hit or miss, you know, and it might be a whole lot of mediocrity in the middle, but what's your, what, what keeps you going? What's that thing that I want to say, what's your secret sauce? Because everything you write turns to gold. And I know that sounds a little foo-foo, but it really is. I mean, each story is so significantly original. It's That's the key about you, Lou, and that's the thing I wanted to make sure I walk away having said is that you you have such an incredible grasp of originality, and that's magnificent. Well, that means a lot. I mean, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Like, I just, as a reader and as a writer both, I just want to, I want to do something new. And it's not like sort of necessarily even out of choice. It's just like, that's my, that's what feels right to me. And so um, my secret is failure. Like I fail a lot. Like, I mean, I, I do not kind of write a book quickly. I do not write it easily. And I take a lot of wrong turns and dead ends and fall off cliffs constantly. And so, I mean, I think, again, I think that's just part of my process. I've, I've learned to accept that. So, I mean, I just, to me, it's encouraging to know, that you don't have to get it right every time you can do it again then, you know, and that's the whole power of revision and, and starting over sometimes. So um, that's what I love about writing is that you can just, you can crack at it until you get it right. And then that's a great feeling when that, that rock suddenly splits and the, you know, the statue presents itself. Yeah. And that is uh, something I wanted to make sure I questioned in between November road and now dark ride. It's been how many years? Uh, well, I fin it was about four years in between when I wrote them. Um, it's been about five years since publication. And that, you know, there, I talked to a lot of guys who, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard to put out one every year. There's some people, put, oh, I'm, I'm putting out two a year. And I think to myself, how does that happen when you're, when you're really going for, and I want to make sure I say this specifically, so don't step on toes or get somebody throw shit in my face, but you know, to be completely original do something outside the norm, have it so compelling as this story, you can't do that two or three times a year. Uh, and, and if you can, I want to meet you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody does it differently and everyone has a different process. And I just know for me, uh, it involves a lot of trial and error. Like I don't have a recipe for how to create a great character. Like I got some ideas about it and, you know, I can give some guidelines, but in general, it's like, I got to write a scene 
And if the character starts to come alive in some certain way, I follow that. Or if it lies there on the slab dead on arrival, I got to start over. So a lot of trial and error. And that takes, for me, at least it takes a little bit of extra time, which, which I don't love, but I've accepted it now. Well, like the old saying goes, if it works, if the shoe fits, wear it. Um, what is one thing that no, what is one thing that, when people meet you, they're so surprised to learn about you that they've told you about anyway. Uh, people tend to be surprised that I was a, uh, a very good baseball player in high school, that I was a high school baseball player. People look at me like, really? Which makes me, I don't know what they think I was doing in high school, but I was a very good baseball player in high school. <laughs> Boring, right? I don't know. No, no, no. But I'm, I'm sitting here trying to imagine that conversation, you know, Bob walks up to you, salute, uh, blah, 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 baseball. Really? You? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Some people I, I see it. I don't know. I can't think of any better than that. Um, yeah. Killed a man once with my bare hands. That surprises a few people, but. <laughs> Is that what you were looking for? That sort of thing? Okay. Yeah. Self-defense. Sure. Not convicted. No, I'm kidding about that. I just realized this is this is going to be recorded. Yeah. All right. I was joking. Federal Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> oh my God! Well, Lou, this book is just flat out amazing. It it is it is up there in the stack that I say everyone has to read this book. And since you're buying three copies, a hardback and two papers, one to one to thumb through over and again, and one to share with a friend. Go ahead and uh, you can pre-order now. And I know it drops. Uh, this show will drop on Monday, the day before your book drops. So great. Uh, we're going to do plenty of talking about pre-ordering it. But before we wrap, I always ask all my authors their very favorite piece of writing advice. And we've got a lot of folks who listen. There are up and coming writers. There, there's striving writers. There's some very seasoned writers. I had a couple of guys recently say, and one of them stopped me at the uh, and says, dude, it's so cool. I love that advice at the end of the show. I always, you know, I think I've really mastered it. And then I hear somebody give a piece of advice. I'm like, oh yeah, that is so true. It's so key. And I want to hear Lou Bernie's best piece of writing advice. Yeah, it is cool. I love to hear that too, from other, you know, what writers are thinking. I guess my, my one big piece of advice would be don't trust anyone who tells you there's only one way to write. There's only one way to do it. There's, there's a way for everybody. Everybody has their own way and you would just have to find that. And you know what? You could probably go back to the greats who have uh, left us much too early and asked them the same thing. And I bet you a lot of those guys would say similarly and being brought up the way that I was uh, in a, in a household with lots of rules uh, with a pastor for a father and everything was fit in a box and do it this way and don't ask why and just keep moving. Uh, I grew up with this incessant need to break as many rules as I pretty much could. So it has served me well because uh, right. I live by that motto. So when I heard it, I was it resonates very beautifully with me, Lou. Yeah. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more about Lou and, of course, to order your copy today, go to louburney.com, L-O-U-B-E-R-N-E-Y.com. And if you saw him at MoucherCon, I know you got – I saw photos of you with a lot of folks. 
lot of people really admire you, Lou. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many people I spoke with. They said, did you know that Lou is here? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I just spoke to him. He touched my shirt. You know. <laughs> I don't believe I touched your shirt. And remember, I was surprisingly good, right? Surprisingly you- good. <laughs> Never going to forget that, Dave. 20 no. years from now, hold it against you. Wow. I certainly deserve that, Lou. I'm kidding. But seriously, I love this book. I read it in two sittings because I couldn't put it down because I wanted, once you get inside Hartley's head, you, it's a cross between you can't wait to see what he's up next and you simultaneously cheer for him because you want him to win so bad because he's just trying to do something good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. All right. Well, Lou, is there anything else we have not covered? I want to be sure that I didn't take too much of your time because I know it's a big day for you. This was great. I really appreciate it. And it was a really fun conversation. So thanks for having me on. Thanks again, Lou. What a pleasure indeed. Now, folks, let me tee you up to next week's guest. The original homicide hunter, Detective Joe Kenda, joins us to talk about his new and very first fiction thriller, All Is Not Forgiven. It promises to be, as always, a great time. That's next Monday. And until then, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our YT channel at youtube.com slash thethrillerzone. And as always, visit our website at thethrillerzone.com. Lastly, follow us on X at thethrillerzone. I'm David Temple, your host, and I'll see you next time on another edition of The Thriller Zone. Your front row seat to the best thrillers. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.